0: now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show.
1: And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, a conclusion of a great week. Uh, one of the new presidential nominees or candidates for president is going to be joining us later in this show. Uh, his name is Doug Burgum. He is the governor of North Dakota. And, yeah, nobody's heard of him outside of North Dakota. But he has an amazing record, and he seems to be a very solid conservative guy who is running focused on three things, on national security, on energy, and uh, making America energy dominant again, and uh, then the economy. We'll be speaking to Governor Burgum and uh, talking about what he has to offer He thinks that other candidates don't. Speaking of new candidates for the presidency, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I know, I know, he's not eligible. He can't run for president. He was born in Austria, and you have to be born here in the United States. You remember all of that uh, nonsense about Barack Obama. He was born in the United States, but it is a requirement in the Constitution. So... uh, what is he doing while promoting his rather remarkable new documentary film? He's uh, talking about, uh, he's asked about it by Chris Wallace, and he's talking about a race for the presidency. Is that what we need, given some of the very controversial elements of Governor Schwarzenegger's past? Uh, one of the most controversial to me was his support for the high-speed train which has ended up being the most gigantic boondoggle schwarzenegger started it it is was continued by jerry brown and now gavin newsom doesn't know what to do with it because the train basically goes nowhere was supposed to go between la and san francisco that's another story uh we will also be speaking to michael reagan the president's oldest son about lessons from his father and uh honestly when I think about President Reagan and what he brought to his country what he brought to his family which Michael Reagan talks about in the new book uh there is a real question about what we can learn and how we can benefit from uh President Reagan and his example we will be talking about that very directly with Michael Reagan later in the show and uh, also uh Barack Obama's been very quiet in the whole discussion about the indictments of uh, President Trump and uh, the ongoing campaign as it's emerging and about have President Biden, uh, his vice president now running for re-election and finding uh, it's not going to be an easy campaign for anybody right now. But uh, Barack Obama spoke out. On issues of race and politics and he specifically took on one of the Republican contenders uh, what is that about and uh, is that an indication that all of the rumors that continue to circulate about uh, Michelle Obama stepping into the presidential race I think that the nature of what President Obama said which will play for you is a, an indication that no, she isn't planning to do that. And there's breaking news. The breaking news is uh, a 12-member jury in federal court in Pittsburgh convicted Robert G. Bowers, 50, of Baldwin, Pennsylvania, on all 63 counts, including hate crimes and weapons violations, after two weeks of searing testimony from dozens of prosecution witnesses. This is on the Pittsburgh Tree of Life Synagogue mass shooting. Among those who testified were survivors including police officers who had been shot during the attack. All told there were 11 people who were killed. Many of them shot in the head. They were actually members of three different congregations because those congregations were sharing the same space in Pittsburgh. Uh, The uh, report from the Washington Post says that prosecutors played haunting uh, 911 emergency calls during which victims could be heard screaming and struggling to breathe before dying amid rapid gunfire from Bowers, who used an AR-15 assault rifle and three handguns. Uh, five police officers were wounded as they attempted to apprehend Bowers during the attack on October 27th, 2018 in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood, a longtime Jewish enclave. Uh, Bowers shot six victims in the head and fired about 100 rounds of ammunition in all, uh, prosecutors said the jury deliberated for a total of about five hours over two days before reaching the verdict. Bowers' defense team, which did not call any witnesses and introduced no evidence, didn't dispute that he carried out the massacre. In her opening statement, public defender Judy Clark suggested that Bowers was motivated to violence not because of a hatred, of Jews but rather because he feared that congregants were aiding immigrants whom he considered a threat to Americans none of this is true another defense attorney Elisa Long said during her closing arguments Thursday but it is what mister Bowers believed to be true and uh, the the idea appears to be that because the the one thing that they're pleading for is that there was no question, and never any real question, that uh, Bowers was going to be found guilty, and he was going to, at the very minimum, have uh, had life imprisonment without possibility of parole. In fact, he had offered a plea bargain deal, which could have saved people a great deal of time, that he would plead guilty to everything, uh, so long as he didn't get the death penalty. And uh, there are many people, many survivors, including the rabbi of one of the congregations, the Tree of Life congregations, who believes that the death penalty is important and an appropriate uh, message to send. Uh, There is, in fact, um, a statement today from uh, the rabbi, Rabbi Jeffrey Myers of Tree of Life congregation, who survived the attack. He also expressed gratitude. I am grateful to God for getting us to this day, he said in a statement, and I am thankful for the law enforcement who ran into danger to rescue me and the U.S. attorney who stood up in court to defend my right to pray. Uh, Today I am focused on being with my congregation and praying, singing and clapping in praise of God as we do each Shabbat. Of course, tonight is Shabbat, begins the 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 new observance of the Sabbath. Uh, Rabbi Myers added, in the face of the horror that our community has experienced, I can think of no better response than practicing my Jewish faith and leading worship. The uh, prosecutors uh, are seeking the death penalty and the next phase of the trial could last up to six weeks. The first phase of the trial determined whether Bowers would be found guilty or not guilty of the charges. A second phase now that a jury has found him guilty, and, and they did so in, in just five hours, which is a, um, a pretty quick response for this kind of trial. And this The new phase, which uh, will begin on June 26, will determine whether or not he will face the death penalty or life in prison. Uh, if the jury does not find unanimously in favor of the death penalty, Bowers would automatically receive a sentence of life in prison under sentencing guidelines i will tell you why one of the things that made me think how appropriate the death penalty is in this case um, is thinking about theodore kaczynski who just killed himself at age 81 but he had all those years after he had killed three people by sending bombs to them, had crippled other people. Well, I'm a friend of David Galerntor's who lost the use of his right hand and lost an eye because of a bomb sent by Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Uh, sometimes there are reasons for the death penalty to exist. Michael Medved Show, I mentioned before that Barack Obama got uh, drawn into or stumbled into the presidential campaign, and he actually uh, had criticism for Senator Tim Scott, the uh, only black Republican member of the United States Senate, and uh, a leading candidate for the presidency, somebody who has been rising in the polls and uh, is one of the four or five top candidates of the more than a dozen who have stepped into the Republican race. What happened was Obama was uh, doing a podcast with his former senior White House advisor and campaign manager and overall political guru, David Axelrod, and he was asked uh, in that podcast interview, about Scott's messaging on race, which has been very optimistic. He says that his life, uh, given the fact that he grew up uh, poor, his parents were divorced when he was very young, and he grew up in public housing circumstances, his mom took in laundry, and uh, he, despite all the odds, ended up being a member of the House of Representatives in the U.S. Senate, and he had great-grandparents who were in slavery. And as he says, that's the trajectory for black people in America that we ought to celebrate. So when Barack Obama was asked about this, he uh, uh, he had this to say about Senator Scott, uh,
0: clip 13. I'm not being cynical about Tim Scott individually. If a Republican who may even be sincere in saying, mm-hmm. I want us all to live together, doesn't have a plan for how do we address crippling generational poverty that is a consequence of hundreds of years of racism in the society, and we need to do something about that. If that candidate is not willing to acknowledge that again and again, we've seen discrimination in everything from job practice you know getting a job to buying a house to how the criminal justice system operates then I think people are rightly skeptical
1: okay the point about what Tim Scott has said uh, well it, it let he actually it did a radio interview in which he responded very directly to what President Obama had said about him this is Senator Scott
0: he missed a Softball moving at slow speed with a big bat. You can't miss this opportunity. And I will tell you, the one thing the far left does not want a black person to be in this country is a conservative. It is possible for America to come together, but not because of the color of our skin, but because of the consistency of our value system.
1: Okay, and he he also said, and uh, issued the statement as well, he said, let us not forget we are a land of opportunity, not a land of oppression. Democrats deny our progress to protect their power. The left wants you to believe faith in America is a fraud and progress in our nation is a myth. Uh, The truth of my life, said Senator Tim Scott, disproves the lies of the radical left. We live in a country where little black and brown boys and girls can be president of the United States. The truth is we've had one, and uh, the good news is we will have another. And uh, he has his ideas of who that next uh, black uh, president, president of color, should be. Uh, look, the the one thing that is so peculiar here about this is that— um, <laughs> I mean, Barack Obama talking about racism and the impact of racism. Barack Obama grew up with privilege. He did. His, his father, uh, who was a terrible father, by the way, and, and yes, abandoned a baby Barack when he was a f- six weeks old, I believe it was. And uh, his father has a, a graduate degree from Harvard. He has a master's degree in economics. His mother has a PhD from University of Hawaii. He was raised by his grandmother, who was vice president of the Bank uh, of Hawaii. She was a banker. Uh, he uh, he himself went to Ivy League schools. His entire life trajectory uh, did not show this systemic racism. Uh, for a moment, really, that that he talks about here. And uh, Nikki Haley actually did a uh, tweet uh, concerning President Obama and this whole issue. She said, Barack Obama sent minorities back by singling them out as victims instead of empowering them. In America, hard work and personal responsibility matter. My parents didn't raise me to think that I would forever be a victim they raised me to know that I was responsible for my success. And, yes, she, she has talked about that and written about that. It, given the fact that her parents were Sikhs and that they were, quote, brown people, they were people of color uh, from India, uh, she had the experience in the small town in which they lived uh, they, uh, they had two different categories for the local beauty pageant, uh, black and white. And she didn't get to compete because they didn't know where to put her. Uh, which one do you come in? Which probably for a, a little girl, and this was when she was, I think, 12, something like that. But uh, in any event, of course, that's a difficult... A, a, a difficult thing to go through, and uh, uh, then there is a um, uh, there is more coming up. We're going to be speaking with Jonathan Last, uh, and uh, there is breaking news actually on the campaign um, because yesterday uh, Glenn Youngkin who has kind of indicated, no, 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 he's not going to be running for president. He could be joining the stampede. Uh, uh, We will uh, get to that and uh, more uh, with uh, Jonathan Last, who is one of the most consistent and intriguing and substantive of commentators on this entire uh, electoral duel. And uh, the... The ongoing, uh, Francis Suarez, uh, who announced last night his uh, his candidacy for president, uh, actually took a few swipes at uh, Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis isn't even the front-runner, but um, uh, Glenn Youngkin jump, jumping in, would he suddenly be one of the front-runners? We will talk about that. And also, the tendency now of uh, serious candidates for the Republican nomination actually taking the risk of offering some criticism of President Trump. On what basis? We will get to that and to much more coming up with Jonathan Last.
0: The Michael Medved Show. This is wrong. It was outrageous. one 800 955
1: And on the uh, Michael Medved Show, it is a pleasure to welcome Jonathan Last. He is a prolific author. He is the editor of The Bulwark. He has been writing columns almost daily uh, about the ongoing struggle for both nominations and I mentioned yesterday that there was some reason to think that uh, Joe Biden through a colossal uh, series of errors political errors may have uh, made his own nomination by the Democratic Party less certain than it was before Uh, Jonathan First of all, a, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that Glenn Youngkin was on uh, the verge of coming in and uh, talked about a campaign video that he had dropped. You don't still believe that he's considering uh, jumping into the race along with everybody else?
0: Uh, I think he probably is. For I mean, the two reasons. The first is the, the immutable reason that his term will be up. And he can't run again, and he cannot win a Senate seat in Virginia. Uh, it's Virginia, just still a blue state. So he, this is a guy who seems to be loaded with ambition. And if he is loaded with the ambition the way I think he is, then the only thing to do is run for president. He doesn't have another move on the board. But the, the other reason is that DeSantis keeps, keeps declining. And if DeSantis really stops looking like the clear consensus number two – I think that could that could entice another challenger into the ring. You know, I mean, in foreign affairs, they say that weakness is a provocation. And I think that's basically true about DeSantis' position. He's he's down to 13% in the latest poll from New Hampshire, which is just a, an astonishing number. Uh, you know, it's like Trump 49, DeSantis 13, Christie 9. And that is the kind of numbers that I think are going to make... Anybody who is still the tiniest bit on the fence, and Youngkin can can sell funds, so that makes things an easier lift for him. I think it's going to make them keep looking hard at the race.
1: Uh, So uh, meanwhile, uh, this week we've had two brand new Republicans uh, joining the race. We have Governor Burgum is uh, joining us on our show coming up. And uh, the governor of North Dakota, who is running for president of the United States, And uh, Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami, very popular mayor of Miami. He won for reelection, running for reelection with 82 percent of the vote. Uh, And he's a Republican running in what is increasingly a Democratic city. Uh, What do these two want to get out of the campaign?
0: You know, Bergam is more interesting to me than, than Suarez because Bergam can self-fund. He he spent more money on the air in Iowa this past week than anybody else running for president, um, close to $2 million, I think, on the air. Uh, he has his own money. He can self-fund. I think he is also kind of an interesting possibility. I can see a world in which he catches on and could pop into the top four or top five in a way that a Nikki Haley or a Tim Scott might not be able to. So I, I would watch Burgum, you know, North Dakota is not all that far from Iowa. Uh, he's, he's from a rural state, which really gives him a kinship with Iowa voters. That sort of stuff matters. That's why Mike Huckabee did very well in Iowa because, you know, rural, rural sees rural. Uh, as far as I just don't quite I know very little about him anytime a mayor jumps into a presidential race it's because they're looking to jump the line on their next job and (laughs) I don't know what he's looking for but he's not running for president he's running for whatever his next job is
1: right he uh, is somebody who did not vote he has admitted it for uh, Ron uh, DeSantis when he originally ran for governor he voted for Ron DeSantis second time and uh, no. and uh, this is Francis Suarez we're talking about the mayor of Miami who just jumped into the presidential race he uh, he also didn't uh, vote for President Trump in uh, 2020 when he was uh, running as Biden so that makes him kind of stick out in the field don't you
0: think I do I think it's, it's really and you look at him, right? He's, he's a guy who is on the make in Florida, where Florida is going to be locked down into Santa's land for the next three years. So you know, what is his move next? Is he looking to run for governor of Florida in 2024, or 2028, rather, as Santos moves out? Is he eyeing one of the Senate seats? Uh, it's, hard, it's hard just for me to really see what the angle is here, unless he is banking on doing a full, a full mayor Pete. The idea being to jump the line to a national profile by getting into the next Republican administration because he impresses voters and impresses people with his performance on the national stage and uh, that's you know that's not a crazy thing to, to see and we'll see whether or not he has the goods right and we'll, we'll see how he how he looks on the stump, how he looks if he's able to get into a kids table debate, uh, and if he is a natural political talent, then maybe he can jump the queue.
1: Well, again, he certainly has been successful. He's the son of a previous mayor of Miami who was also very popular. um If you look over this Republican race right now and you were going to pick somebody who, with the weakness that everybody has perceived from a Ron DeSantis right now, if he's not going to be the main competition against Donald Trump, who who is the best candidate for for that role? Or is it just going to be Trump walking away with it no matter how many times he's indicted?
0: I, I, I mean, I I, the, the, you know, this is, you look at it and your brain says this can't work. Right. The the guy who will be indicted again, uh, possibly, almost almost certainly, you know, so uh, three indictments running against him, three criminal cases that doesn't compute, doesn't make sense. On the other hand, nobody who leads in the way that he leads at this point, and it is later than we think, I mean, we're in June and we're going to have Super Tuesday in like seven months. And so when you break it down, like seven months is 28 weeks like that. Things have to start moving. Uh. And people ahead this much almost always win. Um, you know, Barack Obama was never as far behind as Hillary from Hillary Clinton as DeSantis has been for Trump for a long time now. Um, this is just—it's an over—it's an overwhelming advantage. I suspect Trump is the nominee. And if you were going to ask me to bet for Trump or the field at this point, I would want odds to take the field. That said, when you look at the field, you say, well, who could take off? Uh, That's what I'm asking. It's still possible. Yeah, it's still possible DeSantis could. I mean, DeSantis could write the ship. Uh, I, I, he has enough money to do it. I do think he lacks the retail political skill. I, I just think he's not an especially compelling political personality. Um, don't sleep on Vivek Ramaswamy. I know this sounds crazy um uh, no not long. as crazy I, as
1: doug burgum i by the way i like doug burgum i think he's a major
0: political talent i i do too i think he's he's very good i don't know that his message fits what republican voters are looking for though and here's here's what i've been saying i've been saying for the last two years now that if there's going to be a serious challenge to trump it's likely to come from somebody wholly outside of the political establishment. Uh, it, It would be a Tucker Carlson type. And because I just don't think the Republican base has an appetite for normal politicians anymore. And so a challenge to Trump would have to be somebody who makes Trump look like the establishment politician. And that's kind of, of what Ramaswamy is. I mean, he's, it is shocking that he's registered at all. You know, I mean, he's, he's, I think sitting at like 4 or 5%. Uh, he's certainly going to get onto the main debate stages. Yeah, he's There's already gotten the 40,000
1: contributors. And he's 37 years old and he's committed to spending $100 million of his own money in the campaign. Uh, Jonathan, can you hang on for a few moments more? Sure thing. Good. We will be right back with the one, the only Jonathan V. Last, editor of the Bulwark, coming right back.
0: Michael Medved.
1: I am so much better at what he's doing than he is.
0: This is The Michael Medved Show.
1: Father's Day coming up, as everybody knows, and uh, you might want to consider a fine and funny book. Uh, by Jonathan Last. It is called The Dadly Virtues, uh, Adventures from the Worst Job You'll Ever Love. And uh, that book came out a while ago, but uh, I also wanted to try something with Jonathan Last, who is editor of The Bulwark, who is kind enough to join us on this eve of Father's Day. Um, uh, Jonathan, this is fascinating to me. is The NBC organization took a GOP primary poll, and back uh, eight years ago, and it's June of 2015, uh, just at this stage of the campaign that eventually elected Trump as president. And uh, the order of uh, the Republican contenders in that June 2015 primary poll, Jeb Bush was leading the pack with 22%. His main rival for the nomination was Scott Walker, uh, governor of Wisconsin, uh, 17%. Senator Rubio, another Floridian, uh, was 14%. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson, who had never run for public office before, at 11%. Mike Huckabee, 9%. Ron Paul, uh, or was it Rand Paul? I guess by that time it was Rand Paul mm-hmm. as 7%. Rand, yeah. yeah. Uh, Then uh, uh, Governor Perry of uh, Texas, uh, 5%, Ted Cruz, another Texan, 4%, Chris Christie, 4%, Carly Fiorina, 2%, uh, and Trump, uh, Graham, Lindsey Graham, and John Kasich, uh, all at 1% each. Uh, Something happened in in there. And yeah. uh, uh, what, what was it? What, what is the secret how Trump's starting off? Because he was already well-known to people from uh, The Apprentice, and everybody knew his name. But as, as recently, and, and you made the very good point that it's seven months until uh, we, we get into primaries and caucuses. It's just two months before the first Republican debate which uh, there's new arguments about. Asa Hutchinson uh, says he wants to participate in the debate even without making that promise to support the ultimate nominee. With all of that going on, what what was it that Trump did that got him from that 1% to about the 25% that ultimately won him the presidency?
0: Yeah, so we have to understand... Trump had just launched. So his his announcement was on June 16th of 2015. And so right around now, he had just popped out. But if you, I, I suspect, I haven't, I'm going by memory here, but I believe that if you go two weeks further to July, early July, first week of July in 2015, I believe you see Trump at 11%. So he popped almost immediately. And what he did was he differentiated himself, A, by being an untraditional candidate, not a politician as usual, fresh face, outsider, uh, but B, with enormously high rename recognition. As you said, he'd been a public figure for 40 years, but somehow was both a, a universally known public figure and a fresh face in politics. But C, uh, he ran at immigration in a way that nobody else in the Republican primary was willing to go. Um, you know, this was a party which had been—I guess not—nobody is, is too strong. Ted Cruz was was trying to run as a restrictionist, but not in the nakedly sort of racist way that Trump was. So he was selling something different than anybody had sold in the mainstream Republican circles uh, in at least a couple decades, and he popped very, very quickly. It did not take a long time for him to build up steam. I believe within eight weeks he was in the lead uh, and, you know, it wasn't a big lead, but he was up at like 19% of Jeb had fallen to, you know, 15 or something like that. Uh, And then basically led the national polls from wire to wire. I mean, it's, it's a strange thing. He did not run. I mean, he pulled to an inside straight in some ways, but in others he was ahead almost the entire race after getting in. uh, And he, you know, when you lead, you tend to, to keep leading. It's, it is uh, it's not often that somebody pops up and then goes back down. And you look at some of these other guys, you know, I mean, Jeb was his 22% was based almost entirely on name ID. Uh, Scott Walker, I don't know what it would have happened in had he stayed in, but he pulled himself out of the race. Rubio grew from his 14%. Uh, ben Carson was never really serious. Uh Rand Paul stayed basically where he was, Perry stayed basically where he was, Cruz grew, Christie didn't grow all that much, right? Christy wound up getting to like nine percent in New Hampshire, I think. Uh so these these things wind up in a weird way more stable than you think, earlier than you think. Uh and that's why I yes it's true, there's lots of time and anything can happen. But on the other hand, most of the time anything doesn't happen I mean, most of the time uh, the, the trends you durable trends in polls tend to remain durable you uh, you
1: have a piece you recently wrote for the bulwark uh, about the uh, four tests uh, for American democracy that have been um, posed but that have been uh, put out there because of the rise of Donald Trump, his presidency, and the prospect of a second Trump presidency. And of those four tests, you say, uh, uh, one of them, we've already failed. Uh, two of them, we've come through with flying colors. And one of them has yet to be decided. Very quickly, how do you break those tests down?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, the first test was for the American Public when faced with the choice of Donald Trump in 2016. And, you know, he didn't win a majority, but he won the Electoral College. And people said, yeah, this pathological liar and former game show host who has a life of skating just on the one side of the law, yeah, we'll give him the nuclear code. That sounds good. And it didn't matter how many people warned him about it.
1: Well, uh, he'll put them safely in the
0: bathroom with the chandeliers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, uh, but since then, uh, in 2020, the the public f- passed that test again. Um, they they were given it again. They were given a retake, and they they said no thanks. We'll pass. Uh, Joe Biden got the second largest minor- second largest majority of the last 20 years. Um, it was a, a very impressive victory. It was closer than it probably should have been because of the electoral college, which is a matter of absolute votes. He did very very well. The third test that, that again, we hear we've passed is the rule of law. And the justice system has not been perfect, but then the justice system is never perfect. But it is proceeding about the way you would have hoped, which is to say, uh, the, the Department of Justice, the Attorney General, and the President have all acted in responsible and, from what we can tell, impartial ways, they have been proper in how they have handled the allegations of Donald Trump's law breaking, and they're pursuing it seriously, uh, but also at the same time, giving the accused all of the rights, uh, which the accused is due. So okay. I think this is, you know, whatever, whatever a jury verdict is, I think we can be very pleased with how the attorney general and the special counsel have, have conducted themselves.
1: Okay, so next up, there's that test we haven't uh, either passed or failed.
0: (laughs) And what's that one? And that's the Republican Party. I mean, the Republican Party uh, has gone along with everything Trump has done, both at the elite level and at the popular level of the actual voters. And it remains to, to be seen whether or not they will continue to do so. It's possible, right? It's possible that they will say, yeah, I'm sorry, this is a bridge too far. We can't do this anymore. But I, I don't think that that tipping point exists. I think actually we passed that tipping point back in 2018 and that this is just where we are.
1: And uh, th- there's an interesting piece today uh, that takes a look at the fact that uh, uh, how many people in the Republican Party actually think that uh, President Trump should be uh, tried on these uh, charges about mishandling top secret documents. And it's not a majority of Republicans, it's a majority of everybody else, but it's a big chunk, it's like 40%. And uh, that idea maybe is some indication that uh, this will have an impact that could change the direction of this political season. Uh, Jonathan V. Last, always fascinating. Uh, His book on uh, the dadly virtues, still available for Father's Day. Uh, You can read him in the bulwark or go to michaelmedved.com. We've clicked uh, along to some of his columns in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.